Good morning. This is Attorney Vincent Davis, and you're on with Get Your Kids Back Now. This show is dedicated to keeping families together and to fighting the tyranny of CPS and DCFS social workers. A secondary purpose of this show is to educate parents and relatives or to at least show them where to get the necessary information for their fight. The final purpose of this show is to remind the people that change can be effectuated at the ballot box, at the state and federal levels. Let us unite, vote, and elect those who will make the necessary changes. Good morning. Um, It's Saturday, uh, 8 a.m., July 2nd, 2016. our show today, we are going to be talking about trials and how to pre- prepare for trials. Um, it's always a subject that comes up, and it's always a subject that I see I see in court, and um, a lot of people are lost and confused. I was in court the other day um, in a juvenile dependency court uh, in San Bernardino County, and I was watching a trial, and... Um, I didn't know anything about the case. I wasn't on that trial. And it seemed as though to me that the participants in the trial, the parties, the mother and the father, and the um, family who was sitting in back were very confused about what was going on. And I could tell that the case was set for trial, but they weren't really having a trial. Um... And that uh, sometimes is a little bit concerning. Um, In most cases, and I don't want to say cases, in most cases, um, when you have a trial, you have to have witnesses. You have to have attorneys uh, conducting direct and cross-examination of witnesses. And in this particular case, there were no witnesses. Um, what happened was was that the social worker's attorney um, was introducing into evidence the social worker's reports, and uh, nobody put the social worker on the stand. And I believe the social worker was in the courtroom. Nobody put the social worker on the stand to cross-examine the social worker. And uh, the parents' attorneys... Um, argued the case, and then the judge found against the parents and placed the children out of their care. Now, as I said, I didn't know anything about the case, and this may have been a strategic tactic used by the attorneys. However, in most cases, um, you don't want to have a trial without cross-examining and examining certain witnesses. So I'm going to use as an example a case um, where a woman came and spoke to me this week um, and uh, I have a feeling that her trial, which is coming up in Orange County next week, is going to be handled in the manner I just described. And the reason why I have that feeling is because um, the mother told me that she was recently in Orange County for what's called a settlement conference where her attorney was telling her 
um, that they shouldn't call any witnesses and shouldn't call the children as witnesses. Um, it just so happened that she left me copies. We made copies of all of her documents. And, and, and yesterday I was at the office very late and I happened to be go, just, I was waiting for someone for a late appointment and I just happened to start going through her paperwork and I realized something. Um, I realized that she, it appeared from the paperwork that she had a very good defense uh, for the allegations against her and that it was imperative um, that her children I think she had four or five children, um, be called as witnesses. Um, she had even been told um, that uh, her children um, didn't want to return home and had been told that her children might be testifying against her, which was completely different from her contact when she has contact with her children during visitation. And I shared with her that, um, you know, that perhaps her attorney or the minor's attorney um, had gotten confused or wasn't reporting accurately. And uh, unless they were going to give her her children back, um, you know, she should go to trial. Uh, she has been waiting several months, which is unfortunately not unusual to have a trial. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, I think she told me that they had passed the six-month date from when the children were first removed from her home and that uh, she hadn't had her trial yet. Uh, there are statutes uh, that say that the disposition hearing must be conducted within six months, and the disposition hearing is part of that trial in most juvenile cases. So it had been over six months, and she had asked me, she said, Mr. Davis, can my case be thrown out uh, since they had not, um, you know, had her trial within the statutory period of time. And I said that, yes, that I thought so, but that was something that she was going to have to talk to her attorney. And uh, she shared with me that her attorney would not uh, discuss that issue with her. So for the listeners out there, um, you do have a right to have a trial within a statutory time period. Um, and that statutory time period could be as short as 15 court days from your first court hearing. That's known um, around the juvenile court vernacular as a no-time tr no waiver trial. Um, so you're entitled to have a speedy trial, just like as if you were in criminal court. So um, when you or if you go to a hearing or your first hearing, make sure you ask your attorney about the no time waiver trial, because if that right is not asserted at the first hearing date, um, you could waive your right to have a speedy trial and you could be caught, you know, going to trial in, you know, two to three months. Um, I recently, um, well, many times um, we, come in on a case uh, after uh, the first court date. And um, what happens is the right to the speedy trial has already been waived. And so we're stuck with having a trial um, at the time when it was set, maybe two, 
months down the road or six weeks down the road. And that's very unfortunate because the family wants to get the child or the children back in their care, but it can't be done without having the trial. And that trial was already set, um, you know, six weeks from or seven weeks from the date of the first hearing. That happened on a case recently. The family came in and wanted to hire us, but they decided to go to the first hearing uh, on their own and have a court-appointed attorney because they didn't think that the judge, that any judge would keep the children back, to, keep the children away from them based upon the allegations of the social worker. And so they went to the first hearing. The judge did not return the children. And then they texted me from the courthouse and they called me and they told me what happened. And they said, well, we're coming to your office and we're going to hire you because we want you to get the children back. So they came and then I had to explain to them that since the court date had been set so far out, we had to wait until the new court date. And then they said, well, didn't you tell us that we have a, had a right to have a speedy trial? And I said, yeah, I did tell you that. And, you know, I told you to discuss that with the attorney that the court appointed you. And um, unfortunately, they said that the attorney had not mentioned that to them or if the attorney did. You know, it got lost in the translation. But I said, there's nothing that I can do until, you know, you have the court date. Now, there's a lot that can be done in preparing for the court and the trial, but um, that right to a speedy trial had already been waived by the client. So getting back to our example, our example is is that um, there are allegations uh, against the mother of physically abusing the children and an allegation about domestic violence that had happened between the mother and the father. Now, on the domestic violence uh, allegation, the one thing that I noticed from the paperwork was that the allegation of or the actual incident, alleged incident of domestic violence, had occurred about three years ago. And it was not the reason why the case came into the juvenile dependency system but most social workers, being the social workers that they are, trying to win a case, alleged domestic violence that happened three years ago. So it was my opinion um, and my advice to the client that they didn't necessarily have to worry about the domestic violence incident because there was no connection to um, current risks of harm to the children. Now, that's just my humble opinion. There are some judges that may be thinking differently, some social workers that may be thinking differently, some minors' attorneys that must be thinking differently, you know, some county counsel who represent the social workers may be thinking differently. But that's just my humble opinion. Um, I, but I did tell the, uh, the the potential client that she did not necessarily have to worry about that allegation and that, um, you know, that her, she and her attorney could argue that there was no current nexus between domestic violence and uh, keeping the children away from her. In her particular situation, um, the father uh, of the children who the alleged domestic violence incident um, had happened with was uh, living in another state back in the Midwest and... Um, you know, the client lived here uh, in Southern California, and uh, there was no 
likelihood that the that the children that the mother and the father would be together any time in the future because the father didn't even visit the children he didn't even see the children so um what happened was in the initial interview uh, the social worker was asking the mother, you know, about the history and, of the family, etc. And the mother was honest, and she mentioned domestic violence that had happened three years ago. And um, all of a sudden, it shows it shows up in the charges against her. One of the, and that's one of the many reasons why I tell people, do not talk to social workers without an attorney being present. You know. Um, because a lot of the things that you say will either be used against you, might be twisted, or might be just turned around on you and reported incorrectly, either by accident or, in my opinion, sometimes intentionally. That's my humble opinion. But, you know, if you don't talk to the social worker, you, you, you can't. they can't use evidence out of your own mouth against you. So that's why I give that um, recommendation to potential clients and people that call me. I know it's different from a lot of attorneys um, that work in this field, um, but that's just my own opinion based, of all, based upon almost, you know, 20, uh, 30 years of, uh, of practice as being an attorney. So getting back to the this trial that's coming up for this mother, the the allegations that she has to focus on are the allegations of physical abuse. Now, the stack of papers that had been generated in approximately six months without having any trial was, I'd say, about three inches. I mean, it was a lot of paper. And there were a lot of... Uh, there was a lot of discussion in the paperwork about whether the mother had um, physically abused the children. And it wasn't clear um, from the child's alleged statements by the social worker written in the reports whether there was any physical abuse. There had been a few, and I want to stress a few reported incidents where the mom had taken her hand and smacked it against the child's butt with clothes on. So, um, you know, I wasn't there. I don't know how reasonable or unreasonable that is, but that's a pretty hard case for the social worker to prove a physical abuse if that's all that happened. Um, in California, you are allowed to physically discipline your child as long as it's reasonable. Now, a lot of social workers and a lot of juvenile judges will tell you differently, um, maybe that they don't want you to physically discipline while the case is before them, and that's fine. They have the right to do that. But um, before the case starts, uh, you do have the right to physically discipline your child. The question becomes between discipline and abuse is whether it was reasonable or not. And that term reasonable is, I think, intentionally vague. And it's, you know, something that is defined from case to case. It's one of those things um, where you may, where you know it when you see it, but you can't necessarily uh, define reasonableness. So, it was imperative that um, for this trial that the attorney and the mother sit down and 
and uh, discuss strategy about how to question the children. Because what's going to happen, and unfortunately I think what's going to happen at this trial, is that she's going to go go there thinking that they're going to have witnesses, character witnesses, etc. And um, there's not going to be a trial, there's not going to be any witnesses, and they're going to end up submitting on the social worker reports. And if that happens, more times than not, the mother's going to lose. And then the question becomes, what's the disposition to the um, to the case, that meaning where the children are going to be placed? So in California, in most courts these days, when you have a trial, they do the trial and the disposition hearing together. There are actually two different statutes. And in my opinion, well, there really should be, and sometimes there are, two different trials. And in the old days, many, many, many years ago, when I first started doing this, almost always the jurisdictional hearing and the dispositional hearing were done separately. And the reason is because at the jurisdictional hearing, the social worker has to prove by a preponderance of evidence that the, that your risk, R-I-S-K, to the children uh, and... By the way, it has to be a current risk, that your current risk to the children, and that the allegations are true. Positional hearing, the social worker has to prove by clear and convincing evidence that you're a substantial danger to the child and that there are no less restrictive alternatives. That's a lot different from the first trial because the first trial was a preponderance of evidence. The disposition hearing is by clear and convincing evidence. And at the jurisdictional, the first trial, they have to prove a risk to the children. And at the at the dispositional hearing, they have to prove that you're a substantial danger. Not a danger, a substantial danger to the children. If they don't prove that you're a substantial danger to the children, the children must be returned, even if you lost the first trial. Now, a lot of people either don't know this or don't acknowledge it. And a couple of weeks ago, I was doing a trial, a dispositional trial in a case, and I don't think anyone but me and the judge knew the distinction because during some parts of the examination there were, of the social worker, there were um, arguments made by the county council and by the children's attorney that the standard of proof that we were using and the test that we were supposed to be using was um, preponderance of evidence and that the test was substantial risk. Now, there's there's a huge difference between risk and danger. So the county council seemed to be arguing that the standard that the judge should be using was a preponderance of evidence of a substantial risk. The minor's attorney was arguing that um, it was supposed to be clear and convincing evidence, but it was clear and convincing evidence of substantial risk. Both the judge and I opened up our code books and read, and, and, and although the judge didn't say anything, she, she kind of knew because we were reading the same thing, and I thought, you know, did I forget the law? Um, you know, which was unlikely, but 
it says substantial uh, clear and convincing evidence of a substantial excuse me of a substantial danger, and to top it off, the social worker had to prove at the dispositional hearing that there were no less restrictive alternatives. So in that particular case, I was arguing and trying to show through the examination of the social worker, which is the key point, because my argument is not testimony. All right. So even if I have a really good argument, if I don't bring it out through evidence, um, I'm going to lose. In that particular case, I asked the social worker, I said, hey, um, is my client a danger to the child? And she looked at me, thought about it, and she said something to this effect. Your, your client is not a danger to the child, but she is a substantial risk. Well, by definition, at the dispositional hearing, I should win. I should win, and there shouldn't be any question whatsoever that children should be returned home. So I had already lost the jurisdictional hearing about the allegations. But if they can't prove that there are, by clear and convincing evidence, substantial danger to the child and less restrictive alternatives, then the child has to be returned home. So even though the social worker said, um, you know, she's not a danger, but she's a substantial risk, I then went on to ask the social worker about the many less restrictive alternatives that are rarely brought up in a juvenile dependency case. And I think the reason why they're rarely brought up is because the county and the social workers don't want to bring it up. And they don't want to bring it up because it costs money to give services that are less restrictive than taking the child away. It's, it's less expensive to put the child in foster care than to give the parent the services to keep the child in the home. Let me give you an example. In that case I was telling you about in Los Angeles, um, Los Angeles, as does every county, they, but they call it different things in different counties. Um, they have a program where if the child is returned to the home, uh, there's and, and sometimes they call them wraparound services or they're, uh, what they call, used to call it in Los Angeles was family preservation services. And those services meant exactly what, it's, what it was titled. It was services to keep the children in the home. So, for example, um, let's say that you were a parent and you lost your child because of um, – a domestic violence incident, because of a physical abuse incident, or because of a drug abuse. If you are in a drug program and testing clean, they the, the county can give you services where someone comes to your home, either one, two, or three people come to your home daily. Yes, Monday through Friday. I've even heard of people coming out to the um, clients' homes on Saturdays. So if you're coming out to the home five, six times a week, or maybe even three or four times a week, you get to see the children and the parents together in the home. So that would be better than placing these children in a foster home. And it would be less expensive than placing these, excuse me, but it would be more expensive than to place these children in the home because you actually have uh, social workers, usually outside vendors, 
vendors who provide services to county the counties and the families they come out to the home three four five times a week and they check and they make sure that there's nothing wrong but you rarely hear that offered by the social worker or brought up and when it's not brought up um, you rarely hear an attorney who represents a parent bring that type of um, suggestion up in a lot of cases where I think that it's appropriate I will not only subpoena in the social worker, but I will subpoena in the social worker or the director of that um, department who offers family reunification services, excuse me, family preservation services. So I'll give you an example. I did a case in San Diego probably a year ago, and um, I subpoenaed in the emergency response worker who initially took the children from the home, and I subpoenaed in the dependency investigator who wrote the jurisdictional and dispositional report because I wanted to cross-examine them about their reporting, and I had other witnesses that would contradict what these uh, two social workers would say. But I didn't leave it peanut in. I found out by making calls uh, who was the social worker who was in charge of San Diego's Family Preservation Unit. Now, they don't call it Family Preservation in San Diego. I can't remember what they call it, but each county has this because they're giving giving substantial federal money to offer these services. And I believe that when they don't spend the money uh, offering these services, that the county redirects the money and they'll use it for different things. So I subpoenaed in that person, and when we got to court, um, we had a huge argument on the record um, by the county council about why I shouldn't be able to call that person as a witness. And we went on and on and on about it, and I got the feeling the judge was going to rule against me at first. And so I finally told the judge and told all the attorneys, he said, you know, I didn't say it like this, but basically I said, look, the code section says they got to prove less restrictive alternatives. I subpoenaed that witness so that she can prove, and she's a county witness, a county social worker, that there are less restrictive alternatives that nobody's mentioned to the court in these reports, and that the two social workers that I did uh, subpoena, they don't even know anything about the family preservation how it's assigned, how it's given, and what the services are. So in the end, the uh, judge, I think, was forced to rule in my favor, which led, by the way, to the case being settled um, in my client's favor, which led to the clients being, excuse me, the children being returned to the clients, uh, to the parents, and without family preservation. So they didn't even want them to give them the less restrictive alternative services because it was just too expensive for the county of San Diego to do that. And instead, they sent the kids home and they made the clients uh, jump through a lot of hoops, which they were willing to do. Um, it had been months since, this, since they had, you know, since they had lost their kids initially, and they just wanted their children back. So they agreed to do. I think it was parenting. I think they had to do domestic violence counseling. They had to do. Um, I think one of the parents had to do drug rehabilitation uh, and drug testing. 
and the other, both of them had to do individual counseling and, you know, maybe a couple other things. But sometimes they give you these services and they make it so onerous. It's almost as if, you know, you're setting yourself up for failure because they have you going to classes and counseling, you know, five times a week. And you're going to something or doing something. And it's, you know, pretty hard to maintain a family, you know, with three or four kids and to work a job when they have you do all of this, you know, uh, family maintenance and family reunification services. But that's a whole different topic for another day. So uh, getting back to the example of the trial in Orange County, um, the client should make sure that they don't just argue. You got to bring in witnesses. And in this particular case, and you know, I, I told her she ended up um, not hiring us, um, but I told her, I said, look, I gave her a game plan of what she had to do. Um, and, I, and I was a little concerned because this particular client was very, very intelligent, college, college graduate. I think she even had a master's degree. And she had read all the code sections, and, and, and she felt that she knew um, what to do and what not to do. Um, and, and that was a little, um, you know, that perhaps may be a little uh, dangerous for her uh, because she's not an attorney. She doesn't know anything about the evidence code and how to prove things and the code of civil procedure and that type. Because sometimes when you're just reading the code, the Welfare and Institutions Code, you think, oh, I know the law, therefore, you know, I can, I can argue this and I should win. It doesn't work that way. Knowing the law is you know, maybe 40% of the battle. You still have to prove stuff in court. And the only way you can prove stuff in court is by presenting witnesses and documentary evidence that is admissible. So documentary evidence that is admissible. Well, what a lot of people don't know and don't understand is, you know, that letter from your friend or your boss or your drug counselor, that's inadmissible. It's not admissible. So um, just bringing those letters isn't going to work. Now, the flip side, you know, it is admissible for the social worker. But what if the social worker, there's the special exceptions, you know, that they have for social workers that don't apply to the parents, which I think is inherently unfair, but that's the law. So what if your social worker doesn't uh, include that uh, letter from your counselor that says, you know, you're not a risk or a danger to your children? It doesn't come into evidence. I once did a trial in Los Angeles where I had a, you know, maybe a half-inch notebook that we had given to the social worker to investigate and include in her jurisdictional report. At the time of the trial... The judge didn't admit them and didn't let me cross-examine the social worker about the documents that I had given to her to investigate. And then on appeal, we lost. So there was no guarantee that there's no guarantee that documents are ever going to come in for a parent unless you bring the preparer of that document to court and put them on the stand. 
And then they have to testify that they prepared the letter, that everything in the letter is accurate, and perhaps you can get some other, you know, um, positive evidence against uh, a fourth from that witness um, and put them on the stand to elicit that information. Hold on a second. I'm getting a message from our... um, producer. She's asking me right now to take a call that's waiting in queue. It's area code 562 ending in 81. Good morning. You're on with attorney Vincent Davis. Good morning. Hello. 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 Hi. Who am I speaking to? My name is Carl Liggins. Hi, we have, uh, there's some background noise. I don't know if you have a TV on or something. Oh, yes, that's my TV. I didn't know I was calling up to a radio station. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Did you Did you have a story you wanted to share with us, or did you want to ask a question? Um, basically, um, well, it's it's both, really. Um um, I have a, a situation that's going on. I'm not right here in California. Um, I had a um, DCFS case, um, and um, the judge has no jurisdiction to uh, take my uh, detain my kids. And I reported her to the Commissioner of Judicial Performances. And after that, um, I was illegally evicted from my home. Um, I was harassed. Um, I got beat up by the police. Um, when I got to court, she was like, well, Ms. Dickens, we have jurisdiction now before she retired. But now my daughter, she's 19 years old, up under DCFS care. She got pregnant twice, um, two healthy babies, and they took both of her kids. And now, but it's negligence on their part. Um and right now, I've been I've been trying I've been reaching out trying to help people have people help me file a civil suit and what nobody do with it just like with the sense of use of force or all the situation with the police in this case all all in between and it's kind of hard being a single parent and and fighting with Department of Children and Family Services trying to. Um, get my family back and it's now my kids are all timed out they're all grown I did everything I was supposed to do that they asked me to do I did that um right now I live in a transitional housing program which is the program that I came to when I got out of prison when I completed the program and stuff like that and um still being harassed by Department of Children and Family Services I'm still getting, I had got my SSI disability. They took that from me. Um, I'm under this radar of a lot of things. My defamation of character, they said I assaulted the police. Now, this, this, that they said that I assaulted the police. This is the thing that's keeping me from being with my grandkids, but I fought it. I won the appeal, and it's still showing up on my record. And the social worker for my grandkids, told me yesterday that, you know, we have to investigate this. I won the appeal. You guys have the documents. I won. 
I beat I, I beat it. It never happened. They beat me up. I was extinguisher. They could not hold me, so they said I tried to escape, which was a lie. And so, it's just a lot that's going on right now. And I really need help. I really, really need help. And I know it's a, and it's a few other women with the same situation and circumstances as I that is in need of help out here in California. And I just need someone to reach out and just be like a a willing participant that wants to be involved. I don't have an income. I I can't the lady beat me in the leg with a fire extinguisher. I can't I walk with a walker. Sometimes I can barely walk, but I don't let that stop me from going to that courtroom, filing whatever type of petition I can. I just filed an appeal yesterday because they want to adopt my grandson out. I I was there doing a 388 all in one day yesterday on the bus, you know, catching the bus, you know. So I'm just, like, reaching out. I really need someone that can help me. And because the thing is, when my grandkids turn 18, I want them to have something. You know, I want them to know that their grandmother tried, you know, that I tried my best to bring them home. I'm trying. Well, do you currently have any children that are in the system? My kids are, um, they are aged out. They, DCFS made sure my kids didn't come home. My son, he ate, my oldest son, he had, he, my oldest son is 26 years old. When he aged out at the age of 21, they did not have an exit plan for him. And I was like, how do you not have an exit plan for him? You guys never left home. You know, when, you know, at a timely manner, we don't have an exit plan for him. They didn't. I told my son at that time, you need to file a lawsuit against them because they did not do what they were supposed to do for you. You know, but we have this big old fear because of what happened to us. We have a lot. I had a large fear because I was afraid because of what, when I reported that judge, I was afraid. I'm still afraid. But I got to do what I got to do for my grandkids and my daughter. My my son, Davion, he goes to Otis University. And um, he, 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 he um, utilized the system as he listened to me, and I told him, do what you got to do, you know, and he did that. My son, Tommy, they they diagnosed my kids as ADHD, all these whatever, to give them psych, um, psych meds and stuff like that when they was placed in foster care homes and stuff. Um, I actually kidnapped my son, Tommy, from a home because when I went to visit him, every kid in that house was, drugged up and I took that chance and I took my son away from there um, I went through a lot just with that alone and um, now my daughter she, um, she's been living I found her on Skid Row she was pregnant in the group home they were beating her up um, jumping on her um, they wasn't feeding her properly so she left the group home so she can, you know, do what she had to do. And she had a healthy baby. The baby didn't have no drugs or nothing. She, her baby was healthy. But my child was living on Skid Row because when she would come to my house, they would come looking for her 
here, they would have her AWOL, all, you know, all t- different things. And um, the same thing, then she, they took this baby, and then she ended up getting pregnant again, living on the streets. She's still up under DCFS jurisdiction. And in her the, the social worker supervisor yesterday for my grandkids, for my granddaughter, and she was like, well, Ms. Liggins, um, what do you want us to do? I told her I want you to help my daughter. You guys, you guys, this is the thing that started out back in Lakewood. Now, this is the thing that's killing me. My granddaughter, she's not even a month old. Her case is in Lakewood. My daughter's, her social worker's in Tulsa, and my grandson is in adoption stages, and his is in Pasadena. They have them all split up. Now, when my daughter was pregnant, they had her with a conservator said that she wasn't mentally stable or whatever to be a parent. So now, so now that she didn't have the kids, they they not assisting her with anything. They just want to take them, and that's not fair. That is not fair. The only thing that was go ahead, sir, because I know I. I'm all over the place because that's how my life has been, all over the place, dealing with well, this. Yeah, yeah I, and, and that sometimes happens, dealing with the DCFS social workers. Do me a favor. Get a pen and a piece of paper. I want to give you some information. Okay, hold on for one second. <sighs> <sighs> Okay, I'm ready. I want you to write this telephone number down. I want uh-huh. you to call it after I want you to call it today after nine thirty and I want you to make an appointment to speak to me further about your case. Okay. You ready for the phone number? It's eight 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 and thank you for calling this morning. Okay. Right now, right now, I'm going to take another call. Area code eight one eight, ending in three zero. Hello. Good morning. You're on with attorney. Good morning. Good morning. Um, did you have a question or a story you wanted to share with us? Um, both question and story. Uh, my well, I don't know what the questions are because uh, I need advice. Uh, my child was taken away from me and my current girlfriend from the Department of Child and Family Services um, about uh, September of last year. Uh, the, I have a criminal past uh, under the WIT code. Uh, I'm, the child is at prima facie evidence of, of danger because I have been convicted of a uh, sexual crime at 28.5 about 20 years ago. Uh, so none is, nothing that uh, that has been happening right now is actually because I've done anything with my child. It was because of a previous criminal conviction. 
um, my girlfriend, uh, they say that she is uh, has placed the child in danger because she lived with me, and uh, it's her child and my child together. Uh, because you know I am uh, a convicted sex offender, and uh, that's enough for them to take away the child, and also that she suffers from depression, and that I should have known about that, and that I've placed the child in danger because I had a child with someone who suffers from depression. Um, we've been fighting this for quite some time. Uh, no matter what I seem to do, there seems to be a bias uh, just based only on my uh, my path. We were complied with all the court orders. We're about two and a half months left from the final uh, say-so. We've already had that the trial. The child was taken away from us. We've been given stuff to do, but no matter what... Uh, no matter what I do, it seems that there's just biases put in the system, and I just can't move forward with unmonitored visits or, or with liberalization of visits of my child. They are giving her more uh, liberalization of visits with the child, but uh, it seems like um, it seems like I'm going to lose them. I'm not going to have a chance. And most likely uh, her attorney, my girlfriend's attorney, has advised her to leave me uh, in order for her to get the child back. So they're also trying to destroy my family. So I don't know what to do as of now. Um, I wish I would have had an actual private attorney, but at the time, uh, I, I was financially able to do so. I'm in a better position now to to hire out and to get advice, but I don't know if it's too late with only two and a half months uh, time left, and I don't know what to do. Okay. So what county is your case in? Los Angeles. Okay, so you're at the Edelman, El- Edelman Children's Court? Correct. Who's your judge? That is a good question. Um, um, hold on, let me get uh, Elaine K. Bradshaw. Bradshaw or Blackshaw? Uh, Bradshaw. Bradshaw, okay. Uh, are you in Department 412 on the fourth floor? On the fourth floor, yeah, 412 or 413, one of those two. Okay. And when was your last court date and when is your next court date? My last court date was March the 12th, and my next court mm-hmm. date is September the 13th. And how old is the child? He just barely turned one years old. Okay. So, um, did you have a trial initially? Uh, yes, I, we did have a trial initially. I had, uh, I, I, I had my the psychologist while on parole come in to testify on my behalf. Yeah, all good things. Uh, he said that uh, I was showing remorse and regret. Uh, he said that uh, he, uh, he participated in therapy and that he felt safe with me. Uh, living in the same neighborhood with him and with and ha- and me having children around. He says that I am of no, no threat, um, but that just didn't seem to sway the court whatsoever. Did you appeal your case? Um, yes, unfortunately, I didn't appeal it correctly. I didn't know how, and I, and I, and I couldn't and I couldn't afford anyone to appeal it for me. So we, uh, my current public defender lawyer just wrote out one sentence and said, here, put your name here, here, and turn it in. Did you turn it in? So I'm afraid. Yes, we did. We did turn it in. And what happened on the appeal? 
uh, we're still waiting for a reply. Okay. Did, were you appointed? In a- uh, no, not yet. We're we're uh, waiting for. We we've had no one come did out you, to talk to us. We went. Sorry. Did your appeal get filed within sixty days of your last court date? Yes, it did. And you haven't been appointed an attorney yet. We haven't been appointed an attorney, and we've heard no one. Uh, we I, I filed it within two days, I believe. Two days within uh, uh, the the sixty days being over. Because I was trying to get, you know, whatever help I could. And, and we went in, they looked it over, they said it was good, and we filed the paperwork. Okay. So do you have a pen and a piece of paper? Yes, I do. Okay. I want you to write this phone number down. I'm going to tell you some more stuff today, but I want you to, you know, before I move on, I want you to call this number, make an appointment to speak to me, um, <clears throat> excuse me, on Monday or Tuesday. And the number is 888-688-6582. You have to have your appeal processed fast. I may be able to help you do that. Also, uh, where is your child right now? In the foster uh, family. Okay, so second thing I want you to do, and you could mention this to the mother as well, uh, you need to make a list of 25 people anywhere in the world. Okay, so they don't have to be in L.A., they don't have to be in California, they don't have to be in the United States. They can be anywhere in the world. of 25 relatives, name, address, telephone number, email if they have it, and their relationship to the child. Because you got to get that child moved to a relative ASAP. Yeah, uh, right? yes. Unfortunately, uh, because of my past, uh, I am alienated by all family members, and unfortunately, uh, my girlfriend uh, immigrated here legally from a different country, and basically has no relatives on her. If you were listening to me, I said relatives anywhere in the world. Yes. Um, Yes, I, I did listen. So, her her relatives are so, in a war torn country right now. Okay, and, and she's lost contact, and she's lost contact with him. Okay, well, if you want to save this child, you'll come up with the names. Okay. All right. The third thing you have to do is you have to start focusing right now on preparing your case for trial because the social worker is not going to recommend the child be returned to you. And there's a lot of things you can do to prepare. Too many to go over with you on this show. But take it from me, there's a lot you can do. When you make that appointment to speak to me either in person or over the phone, I'll go into detail of what you can do and what you should be doing. Okay. Okay. So today after 930, call that number, make that appointment to speak to me, and I look forward to speaking with you and helping you. Okay. All right. Thank you for calling. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. I'm going to take another call now um, from area code 747, ending in 65. 
Hi. Good morning. You're on with. Hi. Good morning. Did you have? Good morning. Did you have a question or questions, or did you want to share a story with us? Um. Actually, I have um a lot of questions. I have. Let me um, ask. You, can, I, can I? Can I? Can I? Can I ask you a question first? Yes, of course. Where is area code seven four seven? That's the new A one eight. Oh really? Oh, okay. Yes. So you're in Los Angeles you're in Los Angeles County. What's your first question for me? Well, I have a restraining order against the kid of my father, um of their father. Uh reason is because um he has been physically um, and verbally abusive against me. Um, when I decided to call the cops um, on June 4th, um, he did it in front of the kids. So I had to call the cops. reason is because we weren't living together anymore. Um, and he was just upset because he saw that I was talking to other people. Um, and he fist hit me um, on my head a couple of times in front of the kids. Um, he took my phone and my keys. Um, so I called, and they gave me an emergency restraining order. Uh, and he hasn't seen the kids. Uh, he, he can't see the kids. Uh, the kids miss him very much. Um, and right now, um, he, I know he has a lawyer, and he's trying to make me look really bad as much as he can because his mom made an anon- anonymous call to social workers. Social workers came to my house um, at, like, 10 o'clock at night with police officers. Um, I was not really happy about that. Um, and I know he's going to try his best to come at me and try to take away my kids. That upsets me because I know that a foster home is not the best thing for my kids. Um, I know I've seen that violence is a lot higher, 8 out of 10 times, at a foster home. Um, And I'm just, I know that I'm like any accusation against me is evidence. I know that um, I'm guilty right now and I just I want to fight for full custody and um, that's why I went looking for you guys and found you. Um, Is there oh and also I came out positive for marijuana um, which just you know I I don't know if I'll be able to fight full custody for my kids. He's going to make the best uh, or do the best that he can to lie and do whatever he can to try to take away my kids. Um, Okay. So you basically, you you don't have a CPS case yet, a DCFS case. Your battle is going to be in the family law court, correct? Yes. Okay. Now, were you and your husband ever married or no? Or, excuse me, were you and the father ever married? 
We had we just made cohabitant rights. Like, you know, he was going to be the father that worked, and I was a stay-at-home mom. I was a stay-at-home mom for three years until I started recently working. Where are the children right now? With me. Okay. Now, has he filed some type of paperwork to try to take the children away from you? Um, that I know of, no. But um, I did recently go to court, and there is um, a statement from him saying that I'm an abuser of marijuana and that I do it in front of my kids and blah, 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 which I don't. Okay. So do you have a court date coming up? I do. It's Tuesday. And that's for the restraining order. He filed a restraining order against you, or you filed one against him? I filed one against him. Okay. And do you have an attorney that's going to be representing you? Yes, I do. But I didn't feel comfortable with her because the the day that I was at Children's Court, um, she had to go do something. I didn't even get to discuss my, uh, my case with her. Um, she, they, uh, they were, uh, they assigned me another attorney, but, um, uh, there was not really much that she could do or say because she wasn't the attorney that was going to handle my case. I mean, she could give me advice or whatever. Um, I recently got a hold of my uh, attorney, um, but I don't feel like, um, she, even though I'm paying for attorney fees, that she even is that interested in my case. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Well, now, where is your court hearing? Is it at the children's court or a family law court? It's at children's court in uh, Monterey. Okay. So you do have a, a DCFS case in Monterey Park? Yes. Okay. Um, right now, uh, there's a lot to talk to you about your case, but we're running out of time. If I give you a telephone number, do you think you could call it later on today and perhaps we can speak and I can give you some more detailed advice about what you should be doing? Pen and a piece of paper? Yes. Okay. Call 888-888-6582 after 9.30 today and tell the uh, secretary who answers that you... that you spoke to me on the radio today and that you and I should speak either uh, today, tomorrow, or Monday, even though it's a holiday, and maybe I can give you some insights and tips on what you should be doing for your case, all right? Okay. So it's um, area code 888 and then 888-652? No, 6582. 6582, okay. Okay. All right. And thank you for calling in this morning. Already. Of course. Thank you. Okay, we're running out of time this morning. I didn't get to finish again the uh, section on the trial. Suffice it to say, if you have any trial questions, please give me a call at my office. We do offer a free consultation. That's 888-888-6582. 
or check out our website. We have a lot of videos there, which is www.fightchildprotectiveservices.com. Also on the website, there is a book that I wrote, uh, The Secret How to Fight CPS and When. Uh, You can download that at our website. We'll see you next Saturday on the radio, and we'll try to finish up the section on how to prepare for your trial. Thank you, and have a good day.